Hello, my friends. It is October 5th, 2022. My name is Critch, and you are tuned into Canadian Patriot Radio. Thank you for joining me, my friends. It's been an interesting uh, week in Canada. A couple weeks, actually. Um, we've got the provinces, all the prairie provinces have, um, joined forces and said no to, uh, the fascists that masquerade as liberals with their, um, confiscations of legally acquired firearms. So we're going to cover that in the pre-show. Um, we've got Trudeau being called to the stand when it comes to the inquiry about the implementation of the, um, freedom convoy response. Um, we've got an interesting interview with uh, Keith Wilson. He is the uh, attorney for Brian Peckford in his charter challenge. And then we've got a bit of uh, other stuff to uh, kind of focus on. Australia is doing some really weird stuff with their laws. They're making it legal um, to kick down doors and forcefully vaccinate people, which is horrifying, um, considering they're part of the Commonwealth, which we are too. But we'll get all into all of that into the bulk of the show. But what I wanted to do first was direct your attention to what is in the forefront because it is October and this gun ban or this confiscation program that the uh, liberals are running is supposed to be kicking in at the end of the month. Now, the first article I'm going to direct your attention to comes by way of the Epoch Times and the title reads RCMP between two masters as Ottawa battles Prairie Provinces on gun confiscation. You know that Alberta is on board, uh, Saskatchewan is too, and now Manitoba. Now this article has one of those read-along things, so we'll let it read to us and we will comment afterwards. RCMP between two masters as Ottawa battles Prairie Provinces on gun confiscation. The RCMP is caught between Ottawa's intention to seize firearms and the provinces of Alberta, Saskatchewan, and Manitoba who contract with the force but don't want to use it to have the gun seized. Two years ago, the federal government declared 1,500 previously legal guns illegal and subsequently announced a buyback program whereby owners would be compensated for an assigned value of their forfeited guns. That program, which involves RCMP officers confiscating firearms, is now in the process of being implemented but Alberta Justice Minister Tyler Shandro announced on September 26 that the province will not be participating. The Saskatchewan and Manitoba governments followed suit two days later, saying they wouldn't use local policing resources to enforce the initiative. Retired RCMP officer Andrew Brooks says it's unclear at this point whether Ottawa or the provincial governments will prevail. The provincial interpretation of the policing contracts now in place with the RCMP and the provinces do not appear to coincide with the position being adopted by Honorable Marco Mendicino, Minister of Public Safety. The stage appears set for a potentially epic battle over the preeminence of jurisdiction, Brooke told the Epic Times by email. Shandro said on September 26, that Alberta pays over $750 million per year for the RCMP and insisted that Article 23 of its Provincial Policing Service Agreement gives Alberta leverage. The article lays out dispute mechanisms should the province disagree with how policing is carried out. 
However, Carleton University criminology professor Daryl Davies says the Royal Canadian Mounted Police Act has traditionally shut provinces out. The PPSAs have never addressed discipline, so that's not included in a contract with the RCMP. And as a result, when RCMP are engaged in, shall we say, dubious use of force, or in situations where they have exceeded their authority, the provinces have been unable to hold them accountable for that," Davies said. All those issues fall under the RCMP Act, so it has always been one of the sore spots for the provinces have no control and accountability over the RCMP. While they provide a police service, the quality of that police service if it's abysmal, if it's terrible, cannot be effectively addressed through that contract mechanism. He adds that if the provincial government exercises the PPSA resolution process and still faces firearms confiscation, they would have the option of appealing it to the ombudsman for resolution. If that fails, then they would be better grounded to pursue it in court, Davies says. The RCMP seized guns in High River, Alberta, during flooding in 2013. Residents returned to their homes to discover their guns were missing and many expressed anger after finding out it was done by the police force. Financial Considerations Alberta has considered creating a provincial police force, which may temper how strongly Ottawa and RCMP national headquarters insist on enforcing the law. Davies says the RCMP has had a sullied reputation in recent years, but financial considerations have led most provinces to keep the force. The feds are picking up 70% of the cost of policing, so it's always been economically advantageous to the provinces to maintain these PPSAs. But the question now is, at what cost? The provinces are responsible for the administration of justice, and that's their constitutional right, Davies said. He notes that it may not be a matter of the Mounties simply enforcing the law. You'll probably find a lot of members within the RCMP, that would also support the provinces. They'll never do it publicly, but privately, will not want to enforce legislation that they know, in the communities in which they live, is going to be incredibly unpopular," Davies said. Former RCMP officer Larry Como, who retired after 36 years with the force, says the RCMP finds itself answering to two masters in the provincial federal feud, but the clash between Ottawa and the citizens the force is called to protect is also in play. The RCMP is far too close to the Trudeau government which is negatively affecting the overall performance of its duties by determining its priorities based on political needs," Como wrote by email. Trudeau has said Canadians do not need weapons for self-protection. Trudeau should try telling that to rural residents in Alberta and Saskatchewan who are many miles from an RCMP detachment and can wait lengthy periods for a response to a death-threatening emergency. Those in these areas also require weapons to protect their livestock. Lack of resources On September 27, Christine Tell, Saskatchewan's Minister of Corrections, Policing, and Public Safety, wrote a letter to RCMP Assistant Commissioner Rhonda Blackmore saying that none of the $200 million the province pays the RCMP annually should be used to seize its residents' guns. On September 28, Shandro posted to Twitter, Neither the province or Alberta's RCMP want police resources taken off the street in order to confiscate firearms. Leland Keane, 
A former RCMP officer, who retired in 2019, told the Epoch Times that a lack of police resources is only one reason the seizure effort can't work. They've been running on empty for the last easily 10 to 15 years. They just don't have the people and the logistics to do it. It's an impossible thing. They're trying to get water out of a dry well. It's just pure politics, Keen said. So where do you figure this is going to go? Um, this this has the potential to go all the way up to the Supreme Court. And now, um, will the fascists that masquerade as liberals um, try to march forward with this? Well, if the RCMP are stuck in the middle and they don't really know who they answer to over it, I don't think they can. Um <clears throat> The one thing that they're withholding from the public is the fact that they're not letting us know how many guns have been turned in to date. Now, if you guys, uh, you guys that are local to the Sketch, if you listen to Gormley today, um, you'd know that the callers calling in, the bulk majority of them were saying, <laughs> uh-uh, not turning them in. So <clears throat> my guess is that um, the federal government would be expecting the RCMP to go door to door to door to kick in doors and steal uh, these legally acquired firearms. Now, that's not a good idea. Um, <clears throat> these these firearms that they want the most are designed for one purpose, and that purpose is government tyranny. It's that simple. And this, my friends, is government tyranny. So I would recommend that <clears throat> you don't attempt to go on wild goose chases onto private property to steal legally acquired uh, property of people. Um, it's just not in your best interest. I, I, uh, you know, I think the bulk majority of people would probably respond. Uh, there was one caller on Gormley today that basically just said, yeah, you know, I'm, I, they can come to my place and they can request that the, fi- the requests of firearms that I have that are on this list. And, um, <clears throat> I'm just going to tell them no, and they can put handcuffs on me and charge me. And I think that might be the bulk majority of people, how they're feeling, um, you know, I don't think there's any intention, uh, Canada-wide, uh, with people that own these firearms to turn them in at all, and I don't think you're going to see it. So what does that mean? Does that mean those of us that have the firearms on this list, does that mean that we are now criminals and we will be in court? Um, yes. <laughs> uh, in essence, yes. If it goes all the way down this path, it's really nice that the prairie provinces are stepping up. We need Ontario uh, to jump uh, jump on this ship. Um, I don't know if you're going to get it because of the urban centers. Um, Toronto being the main one where uh, you've got, you know, gang-related shootings all the time with illegally acquired firearms, not even the ones that are on this list. Um, but I think the urban centers are going to, uh, you know, tip more towards actually, you know, the confiscation of these legally acquired firearms as opposed to... Uh, where you're going to see more rural areas where people are like, you know, not having it. So um, we've got more of this. Um, We've got um, smirk guy, I call him. Uh, Medicino went on to Evan Solomon the other day and he got grilled by Solomon. So let's uh, let's get the show started, uh, friends, and then we'll get into that interview after the intro. We'll be right back. Welcome, friends, to Canadian Patriot Radio where conspiracy is not theory and political corruption finds the spotlight.
At CPR, we are committed to upholding Canadians' God-given rights to life, liberty, and freedom with all thy sons. Command. Right, welcome back, my friends. Um, let's stay on the gun topic, as it's probably in the forefront of most of our minds. Um, and let's listen to the response from uh, uh, Medicino, smart guy, um, when he was on Evan Solomon. And I've got to say, for a CTV program, Evan Solomon did a bang-up job uh, nailing him with tough questions. So let's get into this so you guys can hear this interview, my friends. Government overreach. Look, Alberta is pushing back hard against the federal government's proposed firearms buyback program, saying they will not support using the RCMP to confiscate banned weapons. This is politically motivated confiscation, pure and simple. One that will do nothing to make Alberta a safer place or to reduce the criminal misuse of firearms. Alberta also says it's seeking to intervene in six ongoing judicial review applications to challenge the constitutionality of the federal firearms prohibition legislation. By the way, Saskatchewan has also said they will not authorize the use of provincial money to fund the buyback program either. So how is the government responding to Alberta's pushback and when can Canadians expect to get full details? I want to read you what Alberta's Solicitor General Justice Minister uh, said about this. He said, Alberta has rejected your request for provincial resources for their firearms buyback, he writes, or he calls it a confiscation plan. Alberta is exercising authorities that we have as a province to identify the confiscation program as an activity that is not appropriate for the RCMP and we will not tolerate taking officers off the street in order to confiscate the, pro uh, the property of law-abiding firearms owners. He's wrong about all of that, and let's take a step back. These Assault-style rifles were designed for one purpose, one purpose and, and one purpose, purpose only, only, and that is to kill to people, kill. and they have in Canada. It's a political stunt. He knows full well that the regulate, regulatory powers when it relates to firearms falls squarely within uh, the exclusive jurisdiction of the federal government. Let's just get to the matter of law and then we can get to the substance of the policy in a minute. Just on a matter of law. He's saying that they will challenge it and they have various ways to do it. It's within their right to do that, isn't it? You think they're going to lose, but he's not going a, a behind the law to do it. He has every right to do this. By the way, as is Saskatchewan. So. Alberta brought a reference question over 20 years ago in the Supreme Court of Canada held very firmly and has reaffirmed on a number of occasions that when it comes to matters right to regulating firearms that it falls within the jurisdiction of the federal government to do so. Are you legally obliged to use provincial funds for it? Well, we have an agreement and one of the things that the agreement says is that when it relates to the RCMP that the RCMP fall within the jurisdiction, the exclusive jurisdiction of the federal government. It's different than the law. I mean, that's your view, but that's obviously not his view. But here's what else he said, and I want your comment again. Uh, he said, quote, Alberta has been informally advised 
that the commanding officer of Alberta's RCMP does not support the use of provincial resources to administer the federal government's confiscation program. If this is the case, neither the province nor Alberta's RCMP want police resources taken off the street in order to confiscate firearms. What do you make of this comment that Alberta has been informally advised that the commanding officer of Alberta's RCMP does not support the use of provincial resources? Like, what does that tell you? Does that amount, in your view, to political interference with the independence of the RCMP? Well, first and foremost, uh, applying federal laws, whether it relates to uh, firearms or whether it relates to any offense under the criminal code, is not an a la carte menu. You don't get to opt out and tell the RCMP which laws they're going to enforce or not. That actually undermines public safety. And secondly, I would say that's a question you should be putting uh, to the Alberta Solicitor General, who does not speak for the RCMP commanding unit, because as you know, Evan, it is up to the police uh, to determine who should be investigated and how offenses are to be charged. But, but you don't get to choose which federal laws under the criminal code and under the Firearms Act you apply and which you don't. Does it concern you that the Solicitor General of Alberta is saying that the, the province is being informally advised about the views of the commanding officer of the RCMP and making policy about that? Does that concern you? It does, and he should not be insinuating or attributing any uh, kind of opting out on the part of the RCMP. So I would be putting that question to the Alberta Solicitor General. It's counterproductive and most importantly, it undermines the fundamental objective which we are set upon, which is to rid our communities of assault-style rifles once and for all. We owe it to the families of the victims with whom I have met to make sure this never happens again. Saskatchewan does not support and will not authorize the use of provincially funded resources for any process connected to the federal government's proposed buyback program. It's, can provinces just withhold funding in your view? Is that in their jurisdiction to say, your program, you fund it, we ain't funding it? Well look, and the federal government will be there to work with provincial and territorial partners uh, when it comes to uh, addressing public safety priorities. And okay, let's get to the merits of it. One of the reasons this is so divisive, Alberta doesn't like it, Saskatchewan doesn't like it, and others don't like it, not only because they say law-abiding firearms are, are getting targeted, but violent crime has gone up and I've just looked at the stats, you know, more than 30% since 2015, we know that. Largely crime is from illegal handguns, I know there's a handgun ban, but that this, the resources and the time on this is the wrong thing. You got the wrong answer to the problem. The problem is illegal guns and this is not the wrong thing and you're essentially criminalizing legal firearms owners who aren't part of the violent crime problem. What do you say to that? Well, a couple of things. First, the fact that gun crime and violent crime has gone up is an argument against the status quo, which is precisely what Alberta seems to be arguing for, and frankly, which the federal conservatives have argued for, which would be no, to repeal... It's the type repeal. of guns, it's the, it's the handguns that are causing well, the... the, the in, I'm, going in, to, I'm going to come to that, but I wanted to complete the thought, which is that, and it's precisely what the federal conservatives have proposed to do, which is to repeal a ban of assault rifles, which we think is wrong precisely because of the devastating consequences that have been visited upon communities. But I would also say that Bill C-21, which I introduced last spring, which we're going to work with all parliamentarians to pass, includes a national handgun freeze because handguns are the number one type of gun used in homicides. It will introduce a red flag law protocol to help reduce domestic violence in connection with the presence of guns. And it will also provide higher maximum sentences for organized criminals who would try to terrorize their communities with illegal guns. We need to pass that law. We also need to invest at the border to stop 
illegal smuggling. Well, we've had seven and, years to do it. They're saying you haven't done enough of and that. Me, I know there's a couple hundred million dollars, but it's a drop in the bucket. Well, first of all, it's more than that. It's $321 million to reinforce our borders since last year. And we made a record number of seizures of illegal firearms at the border, which we're going to continue to do. And the real trap and the real flaw... But if it was translating into lower violent crime stats, it might be good, but it's not. It's, violent crime's gone up. From last year to this year, it's gone up over... In the last seven years, it's gone up dramatically. So the fascist and smirk guy are, are sticking to their guns, pun intended, uh, with this. They... Um, <clears throat> They seem to think that they can steamroll uh, the provincial governments, and we'll see. Um, you know, are, are the RCMP going to start kicking down doors October 30th? That's when the deadline is to get your guns turned in? Well, I don't think so, because uh, you've got a real question of jurisdiction here. Um, if the provincial governments see that the, the federal government's still going to require the RCMP to do this, they might withhold funding, which would make our police forces even more starved, which they already are. Like they're not, you know, they're not funded to, to, uh, you know, the level that they probably should be in every province. So, and then you also have the, you know, Alberta and Saskatchewan have both considered, uh, a private provincial police force and ridding that ridding, uh, the provinces of, of the RCMP altogether. Now, this is 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 a direct result of the High River gun grab. Um, so the RCMP has already got a black eye here, and let's not even you know we've gone through this multiple times on the show. But the only time that supposedly an AR-15 was used in a mass killing in Canada was the Nova Scotia shooting. Well, this is a police operative. This this guy, like we know um, that he was paid lump sums of money from the RCMP. Uh, and he collected it, and and then all of a sudden he's killing people for a, a, a twenty six hour period in Nova Scotia, and uh, you know, so the RCMP potentially going door to door in rural Alberta, Saskatchewan, and Manitoba to kick down doors and steal legally acquired property is just oh my, like my God, I, I can see that this is going to go south very quickly. No, it's my honest to God hope that if it if it does if October thirtieth rolls around, and in November they start rolling from door to door, it is my sincere hope that most people just say nope. You know, I lost them in a tragic canoe accident. You know, or or no, I uh, sold this to so and so. He told me he was going to do the transfer, and you just deal with it in court. But there are going to be some that are not going to respond very well uh, to the RCMP rolling down their driveway to come get their legally acquired. Um, firearms and so this is a very delicate delicate um, situation that the fascists that masquerade as liberals this is case in point um, what you know this this is exactly what fascists do they disarm their population because they are planning on doing stuff that their population would shoot them for now let's get into what that pod potentially could be and that's that's um that's kind of coming to light um, th- with what some of the stuff that Australia is doing. Now, now keep in mind that Australia is, for the most part, d- disarmed. Now, <clears throat> this is what happens when the general population is, is disarmed. This is the kind of stuff that happens. Now, this article comes to us by way of the counter signal. And the uh, title reads, Australia bill opens the door to forced vaccinations. This was written by Mar- Mike Campbell, October 4th, 2022. Western Australia, one of the most radical states 
Down Under has passed a bill that grants COVID-19 officers authorization to strip people from their homes and vaccinate them against their will. The the Emergency Management Amendment legislation passed last year. The amendment includes powers of officers in relation to persons exposed to SARS-CoV-2 virus. While a COVID-19 declaration is in force for the purpose of limiting the spread of SARS-CoV-2 virus, An authorized COVID-19 officer may direct any person who has been exposed or any class of person who may have been exposed to the SARS-CoV-2 virus uh, to do any, to do all or any of the following. The Western Australia bill, bill reads, A, to remain in an area specified by the officer for such period as is specified by the officer. B, to remain quarantined from other persons for such period and in such reason, in such a reasonable manner, as is specified by the officer. C, to submit to infection prevention and control procedures uh, within such reasonable period and in such reasonable manner as is specified by the officer. Earlier this month, Australia dropped its quarantine requirements for people exposed to the virus effective October 14th. Mandatory isolation was one of the last restrictions to be lifted. But this new bill suggests that if another COVID emergency is declared, Western Australia could be forcefully removed. Uh, Western Australians could be forcefully removed from their own homes and compelled to submit to whatever infection prevention and control procedures are deemed reasonable. Although forced vaccination isn't directly stated in the bill, the bill the bill's vague wording leaves it open to such interpretation. Canada never mandated forced vaccination, though the coercive mandates were effective in attaining one of the highest vaccination rates in the world. At one point, newly elected Quebec Premier Francois Legault proposed a tax on unvaccinated people. After widespread backlash from the public and civil rights groups, the idea was subsequently dropped. So this is this is kind of what I'm getting at. Like, this is why they want to disarm you. Um to do things like this um and and what are the guns you know they they've made it blatantly obvious what they're afraid of it's semi-automatic scary looking uh rifles uh they call them assault style rifles uh we still don't even have a definition of what that is but the ar-15 is where all the controversy all surrounds and and i think the reason they hate this gun so much is because it's so highly effective you can't uh you basically can't jam them up. Uh, they perform under any sort of circumstances. You can basically roll them around in a barrel of sand, pull them out, cock them, and shoot a whole clip out of them. Now, in Canada, it's all, they're already so regulated. Like, you're only supposed to have five-shot clips in them. Um, <clears throat> uh, like, realistically, and most of, the, most of the AR-15s that they're so scared of, um, is it's just a .223. Um, it's not even a real big caliber. Um, so the push for this specific rifle is 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 so stupid it's unreal um you know realistically if you're wanting to drop a human you're going to go with a 303 or a 308 or something bigger a 30 odd six 300 wind mag um 223 wouldn't be my first choice so it is kind of funny that they're coming for these first um and you know i i do have to add hats off to the canadian gun makers uh, they've already found 17,000 ways around these and now all it's done is just given birth to new calibers of semi-autos that are probably even more effective uh, than AR-15s. You know, you're seeing a real resurgence 
Um, one of the most effective firearms uh, in World War II was a Thompson rifle, which shot 45 caliber, um, basically handgun ammo. And the U.S. used them quite effectively uh, in World War II. Well, you're starting to see um, an AR-style 45 now that's coming to the market, and it's legal in Canada. So, I mean, it's it's funny to see how how you know basically you're you got the blind leading the blind on the government side because they're not firearms people and then you've got the firearm community kind of just laughing and giggling to ourselves because they don't get it um there's already way more lethal more effective rifles on the market that you can attain legally now because they figured out all the loopholes and all their stupid legislation and and you can go out and get these now but I mean, whatever, you know, it's the fact remains that this is the line in the sand for a lot of us. And this, this cannot be, uh, we cannot allow it. So it'll be interesting to see. It is really, it is so, um, it's such a blessing to have the provinces stepping up for their people, at least in the prairies. Like I said, Manitoba and Quebec or Manitoba, Ontario and Quebec ought to get on board here. If, if we could get, if we could get, um, at least parts of Ontario, you know, uh, the more populated provinces on board. I, I'm, I'm shocked that, you know, that uh, there isn't, well, there probably is a shit ton of pressure on um, Ford and Legault, but they probably just won't listen. But um, at least there's three provinces now standing together. So all we can do is watch, and then I guess, uh, you know, just make sure you've got your your T's crossed and your I's dotted, if you know what I mean, when it comes to the firearms that you have. So just be very careful. And uh, I guess if the RCMP do come to your place in November, um, you know, it's too bad. I had a tragic canoe accident there and, you know, my, uh, that firearm just happened to go to the bottom of a such and such lake. You know, I, it is what it is. <clears throat> what do you do, right? Now, speaking of court challenges, um, I'm going, we're going to switch off of guns and we're going to get back onto the vaccine mandates. Um, um, this next article comes to us by way of Farmers Forum. And the title reads, Biggest Case in Canada, Mainstream Media Ignores Vaccine Mandate Court Challenge. Now, this was uh, written on September 29th, uh, 2022, and it was written by Patrick Meager. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and his ministers have been saying for a month that they have been following the science and the advice of their experts on COVID-19. Explosive testimony in federal court says otherwise. Court testimony can now be accessed on the website of the Justice Centre for Constitutional Freedoms. Um, reveals that Canada's top health expert did not recommend a vaccine requirement uh, before boarding a bus, train or plane. Even worse, the human trial for COVID-19 uh, for the COVID-19 vaccine is now underway and millions of Canadians are part of the experiment. It is, an, it, it is an astounding revelation, according to lawyer Keith Wilson, who is representing former Newfoundland uh, Premier Brian Peckford's lawsuit against the federal government for what they described as the most far-reaching breach of charter rights in Canadian history. It prevented 6 million people's uh, right to freedom of movement because of a ban against unvaccinated people from traveling on buses, trains, and planes. This was not a city issue as Farmers Forum has spoken with many farmers across the province who oppose the vaccine mandates. In a September 22nd online interview with lawyer uh, Viva Frey, Wilson walked through his cross-examination of government officials and was amazed at the media blackout on the progress of, the, of, of events. Following court appearances, including, including on September 21st, there was no cameras or interest, interested reporters, Wilson said. Zero news coverage 
It's like Premier Peckford doesn't exist. It's like this case doesn't exist. The vaccine travel mandates affected 6 million Canadians, he said. I have done far lesser cases many times where I have come out of the courthouse to a gaggle of reporters. He added that the federal government's $600 million for mainstream media is having its effect. The media is so extremely controlled uh, right now by their uh, desperation for money, they are in a death spiral. More and more people are tuning out. They see it as propaganda. Wilson says that he cross-examined Dr. Lisa Waddell, lead epidemiologist for the Public Health Agency of Canada, who told the court that Canada's top health agency did not advise Transport Canada to require a vaccine mandate for public travel within Canada. In fact, said the scientific evidence would not support a vaccine mandate. Not only did she not recommend forced vaccination to travel, but said it would not be epidemiologically sound advice, Wilson said. And here it became the hallmark policy of the Trudeau Liberals to restrict 6 million Canadians from traveling within their, within their country and leaving their country. He added that after it was implemented, emails from government officials revealed that they had uh, <clears throat> to come up with a uh, rationale for the decision. Wilson also said that the federal government even decided not to allow exemptions, even if it meant parents could not fly to visit a dying son in a hospital with one day to live. Viva Frey added one horrific case where a woman suffering from loneliness due to lockdowns opted for government-assisted suicide. Her family couldn't give her the companionship necessary to save her life, but were allowed to be with her when the state was putting her to death, he said. The nonsensical rules tormented millions of Canadians at a time when we knew the vaccines were not working, Wilson said. This pointed to a policy of division from a very unpopular prime minister as a political uh, survival strategy, Wilson said. Get Canadians fighting amongst themselves so they don't notice the failing and the incompetency on a gross scale of the Trudeau Liberals and their cabinet ministers. Wilson also recalled his cross-examination of Dr. uh, Celia Lorenko, Director General for Health Canada, that approves vaccines. She argued that the vaccination approval process uh, changed for the COVID-19 vaccines. Until COVID, all vaccines were approved following uh, animal trials and two human trial phases. But for the COVID vaccines, the human trials were skipped. Dr. Lauren Co confirmed under oath that the human trial is going on right now as data is being compiled with the general population and Canadians were not told of the risks, he said. That was a big one for us to get her to confirm that this is a huge experiment that's going on. Wilson's team had almost 15,000 pages of evidence, and on September 21st, the pile almost reached the height of the judge. About 12 federal government lawyers asked the court to dismiss the Peckford uh, lawsuit because the vaccine mandates were suspended on June 20th. But the government merely suspended the vaccine mandates. Wilson shot back, noting that the Minister of Health declared that we will not hesitate to bring it back. If the court dismisses the case, it will undermine confidence in government institutions, Wilson said. If we don't have access to the courts for for a peaceful resolution, what options does that leave Canadians? So this is the, you know, it's kind of shocking that um, this, I guess it's not shocking for us realistically. We all know that um, the mainstream legacy horror media uh, is exactly that. They are, they accept their 5 a.m. news cycles and they repeat it day in and day out and they they just repeat what they're told uh they will not report anything that would go against their globalist masters and stop their funding 
But the fact remains that you've got two big revelations coming out in one case already. Um, the the fact that um, you know Health Canada had nothing to do with the decision um, to mandate travel within the country and to leave the country, and then um, that the uh, the trial phases, the human trial phases, were skipped. And this actually is the phase three trials. And everybody that got these experimental injections is a lab rat has been reduced to a lab rat. And we know through um, <clears throat> uh, VARES and other sources um, that it, it's it's incredible the amount of deaths. Um, actually, I've got the numbers for, for Saskatchewan here, or sorry, for Canada. Just let me bring them up, bear with me, my friends. We'll just, we'll just touch on this because a lot of people don't know this. Um, The COVID cases by vaccination status in Canada uh, from June 13th to August 28th, unvaccinated was 23,758. And for vaccinated of all levels, double, triple, and quadruple was 119,974. So, I mean, we're talking like just blowing the unvaccinated out of the water. COVID-19 hospitalizations by vaccination status in Canada from June 13th to August 28th, 2022. Unvaccinated was 1,863. And for the vaccinated of all three statuses, double, triple, and quadruple, was 9,914. Now keep in mind that in Canada, if you only got one shot, so if you're someone that got sick after your first shot and didn't get a second shot, you are classified as unvaccinated. It'd be interesting to see the numbers of single shot people that are in that unvaccinated jurisdiction or being uh, classified as unvaccinated. Now let's move on. COVID-19 deaths from the same period, June 13th to August 28th. The deaths for unvaccinated was 304. For all the vaccinated was 1,841. Like we're talking blown out of the water, completely blown out of the water. So those are the numbers for Canada. That's the reason why they've got they've got no case now. But the problem is for the federal government is they've got um, constitutional infringements that they cannot get out of. Now, speaking of constitutional infringements, that's a perfect segue into the next um, topic that I had picked out for tonight, which is um, Justin Trudeau is going to take the stand at the inquiry into the Freedom Convoy response. Now, so... <clears throat> These fascists are being held uh, somewhat to account on a few levels here. Um, the court cases on the mandates, I don't think they're going to escape them um, on the provincial level. Um, now, if it goes to the federal level, that could be a whole different uh, ball of wax. But even in our heavily, um, what's the proper wording here? Uh, we've got a very, very, very left-leaning federal or uh, Supreme Court in Canada. Uh, very, very... Um, a hundred uh, very bought and sold into climate change. So these are very malleable uh, justices that are on. They 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 hook, line, and sinker on globalist um, talking points. So where will they fall on a vaccine mandate? So kind of what I'm getting at is I think you're going to probably see wins on the, at the provincial level with some of the the mandate cases, um, and then they'll you know the federal government has unlimited. Um, unlimited access to our tax money so they'll take it to the supreme court and that's where everything will you know that that's it's a it's dangerous for the supreme court to not side with the people uh with some of this stuff now keep in mind that um us unvaccinated are a small minority we're we're roughly about six million 
But I think that you've got a bulk majority of um, vaccinated people that were not on board with the, the mandates and and woke up through all of this uh, into what it, what is actually going on here. Um, they would side with people uh, against the mandates. So <clears throat> if the Supreme Court sides with the government and decides to shoot down these cases, um, at that point you might start seeing, um, I guess, stuff that you've witnessed in in other countries where um, fascist dictators are, are basically taking over your country and the people start fighting back. <laughs> I guess what I'm getting at is demonstrations. So um, what happens in Canada when you demonstrate against fascist, uh, uh, the, the fascist ideology of the federal government? Well, we saw with the Freedom Convoy response and now Justin Trudeau has been called to testify with this. Now let's get back into this. So. He's going to be held to account, and and I don't know who's going to be interviewing him, but that's, I hope it's uh, Raquel Doncho, if you want my opinion. But let's get into this article. Uh, Justin Trudeau will take the stand at inquiry into Freedom Convoy response. When was this written? Um, This was written by Glenn McGregor, and it was written on October 4th yesterday, 2022. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau will be called called to testify at hearings into the government's decision to invoke the Emergencies Act to end anti-mandate protests earlier this year. The Public Order Emergency Commission, led by former Ontario Superior Court Justice Paul Rollo, is scheduled to begin hearings next week, with the mandate uh, to assess the government's use of the Act for the first time since it became law in 1988. Although the preliminary list of approximately 60 witnesses prepared by the Commission Council has yet to be made public, CTV News has learned that it includes eight cabinet ministers, including Trudeau. Public Safety Minister Marco Medicino and Deputy Prime Minister and Finance Minister Christian Freeland are among those to be uh, those also expected to be called to testify. Trudeau invoked the act on February 14th to end protests against COVID-19 measures that occupied Ottawa and Jan border crossings in Alberta and at the Ambassador Bridge in Windsor. Ontario. It was revoked nine days later after police dismantled the protests. The government argued police needed the additional tools, including the ability to freeze bank accounts of convoy supporters to end the protests. But critics, including the conservative opposition, said the decision was unnecessary and unwarranted and an unwarranted intrusion on Canadian charter rights. The commission has the power of subpoena to compel witnesses, but the government officials are expected to appear voluntarily. The Prime Minister's office told CTV News that Trudeau anticipated being asked to give evidence and welcomes the opportunity. The proposed witness list also includes several leaders of the so-called Freedom Convoy, including some currently facing criminal charges, as well as law enforcement officials from the RCMP, the Ottawa Police Service, and the Ontario Provincial Police. Keith Wilson, one of the lawyers who represented convoy leader Tamara Leach, uh, Keith Wilson, the same lawyer that is uh, on the Peckford case. That's pretty cool. Tamara Litch says his clients are in the process of gathering documents to present to the commission. Wilson says he has texts and phone, phone records which show that organizers had ratified a deal to move trucks out of Ottawa down, uh, Ottawa's downtown core before the Emergencies Act was invoked. Wilson says his clients have not been scheduled to testify but have been told to be ready to take the stand as early as next Tuesday. The hearings are scheduled for October 13th to November 24th, but could be extended. 
There are 39 individuals and organizations withstanding at the inquiry, but it is up to the commission's lawyers to choose whom they call to testify. Those withstanding could be given a chance to cross-examine witnesses. The commission said it would not provide a full list of witnesses until next week. The commission has provided a preliminary list of witnesses to parties that have uh, standing, spokesperson Michael Tansley said in an email. The list is not final and was provided to parties on a confidential basis. It is unusual, though not unprecedented, for Prime Ministers to testify at public inquiries. In 2005, uh, then-Prime Minister Paul Martin appeared at the uh, Gormery Commission looking into corrupt allegations involving the Liberal government's sponsorship and advertising programs. Martin's predecessor, former Prime Minister John Chrétien, also testified at the Gormery hearings. The Commission's findings that Chrétien and his Chief of Staff bore some responsibility for misspending was later set aside by the Federal Court of Canada. So, if charges are brought because of this hearing, which they damn well should be, uh, this this is fascist, fascist fascistic type behavior, um, it would go again to the Federal Supreme Court. But um, it'll be interesting to see um, who they've got for lawyers and who will do the questioning. I... Um, I don't know if it would be cabinet ministers in a, in a situation like this. Uh, and I don't even know the, um, the format. Like, is this, a, like, is this a, like a court kind of format? Or are you going to have softball questions thrown at you from your own lawyers and then uh, get cross-examined? Or is this going to be like a round robin where they just take questions from um, all sorts of people kind of gets, do they get five minutes of time? I don't know how this is set up. So... If it's anything like the U.S. Um, and they have to testify in front of a, a commission like this, um, and, and judging from what we've seen already when, when it comes to like some of the police commissioners, Brenda Lucky and stuff like that, this is a, um, a government panel of, of cabinet ministers that are doing the questioning. And they do have a specific amount of time. So it is very similar to the U.S. type of hearings. <clears throat> and uh, witnesses can manipulate their time uh, and kind of lollygag and, and screw them over realistically. So is Trudeau smart enough to do that? No, no, he's not. But it, it'll be it'll be nice to see this guy actually have to answer questions uh, the way. Th- well, will he? I don't know. The, like I, I watch question period whenever I'm actually whenever I have time. And this guy does is like the king. Actually, not just him. The whole liberal cabinet is the it, they're the king and queens of not answering questions. They don't answer anything. They just take you on this jolly old false reality ride with every answer or, or statement uh, that they choose to pull out of the gobbledygook that is their, I guess, cabinet. And they, they just go on this little story time <coughs> of, of false and, and easily disprovable information. Like today, Trudeau was just over and over. Canadians believe that or need the government. Uh, you know, Canadians believe in climate change. You don't have to convince anybody in Saskatchewan about climate change in Alberta. This is the stuff that this guy says in the House of Commons. Instead of answering like direct yes/no questions uh, about tripling the carbon tax, he goes on that he goes on this tirade that you don't have to convince anybody um, in Saskatchewan about the existence of or that climate change is real. Uh, because of droughts, like <laughs> there's been droughts 
in Saskatchewan for as long as any of us have been alive. Uh, climate changes all the time. Like it's such a stupid argument. And realistically, we are <clears throat> carbon negative in this province with the amount of um, CO2 sequestered by farming and tilling processes, not to mention our our coal-fired power plants have uh, scrubbers. Like we, we led the world in scrubbing te- technology and carbon capture technology. It was all originated in Saskatchewan. And then the, let's not forget the biggest, most glaring obvious reason why we're carbon negative in Saskatchewan is the fact that we're 80% province or 80, 80% forest. <coughs> Just like most of Canadian uh, provinces. So it's, it's such a stupid argument. Their math doesn't make any sense. Uh, putting a price on carbon t- to a province like the Sketch that is carbon negative. How how are you even how how are you even doing that? But it's it's uh it's it's just this false reality that these these woke liberals live in. And speaking of which, um, Michelle Rempel. Speaking of the House of Commons, Michelle Rempel Gardner actually actually let him have it. Uh, you guys got to hear this. She swore in the House of Commons. It was great. I, but she said what we're all thinking to repatriate manufacturing. They've failed to inspire investment in our country, and they are making it harder for women in my community to put loaves of bread in their cart. And I've had enough. And people in this place have had enough, Mr. Speaker. And people across this country have had enough. So I challenge every Liberal backbencher here today, tomorrow morning is their caucus meeting, to stand up and say what that one person said off the record to a, a reporter. Enough with the woke shit. Sorry, Mr. Speaker, I take that back. I apologize for my, my unparliamentary language immediately. I'm very sorry. Enough with the woke stuff. And get on with the plan. And it's right to be passionate with this because we have to do better things to protect Canadians from inflation. A little bit of a slip up on her part, but she honestly read the minds of Canadians when it comes to just, just this whole woke movement. That we're being subjected to uh, with all this insanity, with this transgenderism, um, climate change, and and now guns and and COVID mandates. Like the the globalists are trying so hard to get um, <clears throat> to get to Agenda 2030, and you know it's 20 <clears throat> it's 2022. They've they've got eight years to pull this off. Not even seven and a half. Not even seven and a half. They basically got seven years to pull this off. And it, the, the clock is ticking and it's only going to get worse. Um, you know, they're coming, you know, they're going to be pushing this digital currency. You've got, you've got, uh, the U S, um, Ukraine's already doing it. Um, Ukraine is the, the, the testing ground for the, uh, the digital IDs and, um, the social credit scores, um, all of it. That's, that's the big push. So how they're going to, how they're going to get this into, uh, try and get people to accept it when it when it comes to digital currency that's the easiest part uh because we all we pretty much live in a in a digital world already a lot of us aren't carrying cash as much as we should um i still do quite a bit actually but it's it's so easy and convenient to use your debit card or your credit card uh these days and that's you know intentional they 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 knew all along that they were going to try and get us off of uh um uh, fiat currencies and get us onto a new digital fiat currency or fake current uh, currency that they can just print out of thin air. Um, but I, I think I think the what we're seeing with uh, how how they're trying to disrupt the supply chains um, and and 
cripple us with uh, climate taxes and all this stuff. It all fits together to uh, to create um, basically a depression. Uh, the, you know, these all these um, <clears throat> economists that are saying that we're on the verge of a recession. Well, we've been in a recession since two thousand and fucking eight. So anybody that claims to have the title of economist and can't see that, that we never did recover from the 2008 and eight crash, uh, that basically inflation has been spiking ever since then, um, is not really an economist in my opinion. Um, but what we're, what we're on the verge on, uh, is a, a created depression. Um, this, this is all driving towards, um, uh, get a, get us to the point where we have to become dependent on the government. And in some of the countries I've been hearing, what they're doing is they're attempting to buy your cash with digital currency and they're valuing the digital, uh, you know, your cash as more. And that's how they're getting people over. Now, will they do that here? Yes, they will. Um, how they're going to do it. I don't know. Uh, just by driving our the worth of our dollar down and down and down and then attempting to buy it out for more digital currency to get us over to this fiat one I don't know it's it's tricky and I can't guess how that how it's going to play out but we do know the end game the end game is to have us a completely chipped and tracked and uh, on a social credit system just like communist China where um, people like me and you that speak out or do anything against the official narrative uh, like you've got the Ministry of Truth that uh, is erasing uh, pretty much factual evidence off the internet every single day uh, in every of the G6, G7, G14, however m- many you want to go, um, off the internet in every day. Like stuff only stays up now for so and so long. You know, for those of you that have been around uh, since the glory days of the internet <clears throat> in the 90s, in the 90s and early 2000s, uh, you remember what the internet once was. Like you could find anything. Um, anything you wanted, uh, any topic that you wanted to search, you could find it. Now you can't, especially when it comes to political corruption and, uh, uh, you know, infringements infringements of the law when it comes to government officials, uh, the corruption involved with, uh, you know, uh, child trafficking, drug running, like Ghislaine Maxwell, she still has, you know, she's been convicted of uh, trafficking children to nobody. Um, absolutely nobody. There was no customers whatsoever. She's in jail, but uh, there's no customers, right? And you know damn well that that's because everybody's involved in it. But the biggest thing, because we, we've covered it on the show, a lot of people just say, well, it's all your politicians. It's all your billionaires. Yes, it is. It is. But that's not the biggest reason why they're not telling you who who's on those lists. The biggest reason is you have intelligence agencies in every single country that knew this was going on for 20 fucking years and did nothing about it. All the way up to child sacrifice, to human sacrifice. They knew about it only because they, and they did nothing because they could use this information to honeypot people. That's why nothing was done about it. And that's why you're never going to see those lists as long as these intelligence agencies, which is the deep state or the globalist puppets, uh, exist. You're never going to find out who was on those lists, which is everybody. In the end, it's everybody. You know damn well it's everybody. You don't get to the higher echelons in this world in any country in the G7 countries. You don't get to be a judge. You don't get to be a politician on the federal stage. You don't get to the to become a CEO of a, of a major company in any one of these countries unless you're compromised. You either take bribes or you diddle children or they've got you uh, in bed with a tranny. Who knows what it is that they got you to roll on. 
But I think when you when you start looking at the Parliament of of Canada, I don't think they're very far off from the Parliament of of uh, of the UK. And we know that the, the bulk majority of, of them are pe- pedophiles or perverts. They've got some sort of fucked up thing that they're into, and they've been filmed doing it. And that's that. And that's how all these people at the top echelons of, of every one of these countries goes along with a globalist narrative that will eventually do away with them too. You're not going to, you know, there's only, there's, when you think about the actual 13 families that run this whole show that are inbred to God knows how, how, when, none of these people that are doing their bidding are actually family members. These, these people and names you don't, you've never heard of. And from, from the best estimates of the people that I follow, there's probably only about 300 of them that are, that are pulling all the strings. So all your people like Soros, Bill Gates, all, all, you know, your Trudeaus, all your front men, Biden, we know is, is, is full on dementia patient, but all these people are just puppets going along with something, probably thinking that they will be saved when it's all said and done. No, they won't. They mean nothing to these people. That's the, that's the, the fiercest part about this <clears throat> is these people are pushing an agenda that will single them out too, and eventually probably do away with them. That's the, the funniest and also saddest thing about this. <coughs> well, my friends, it's looking like we got to the end of another episode. So I guess realistically, you know, the, the major topic of this show was jurisdiction. Um, the fact that the provincial, the prairie provincial provinces have stepped up and they're bringing jurisdiction into question has taken the heat off of those of us uh, that had no intention of, uh, you know, submitting to this confiscation of our legally acquired property. And we'll see how this plays out. Uh, if anything, it could buy us more time, uh, and we'll see uh, <clears throat> see how it plays out. But jurisdiction is is the topic of the day, and and all we can do is sit back and just do what we do what we've always done, and be patriotic to uh, the country that is being is is under unbelievable attack right now, and has been since 2015, even before, obviously, because there really is. You know, both sides work to the end common goal. Just like I was saying, these these puppets that that think they'll somehow be spared um, once they get their once they get their social credit score in, and 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 uh, you start speaking out, government officials are not immune to any anything that they're planning. But as always, my friends, I better end this because I could rant on this for hours. So as always. <clears throat> If you want to reach out, you can find me on Facebook. It's Canadian Patriot Radio. Use the message button for information or just to say hello. Um, email is CanadianPatriotRadio at gmail.com. I have to clean up my inbox. So if you have reached out to me via email and I never did get back to you, it's because I've got like um, 1,500 emails in there that I've got to go through. Um, a lot of it's information that um, people send and so on and so forth. And then I'm, I'm, I'm subscribed to almost everything. Uh, so I've got to get through it. I've, I've had a few weeks where I haven't uh, been going through it as thorough as I should be. Anyway, so if you did email me and I haven't gotten back to you, that's the reason why. So my apologies. Uh, if you want to join the Telegram room, it's t.me backslash under, uh, CPR underscore two. And if none of that is the way you want to go, then visit the website, which is CanadianPatriotRadio.ca. As always, thank you so much for tuning in, my friends. And until next time, in all thy sons command.
joining us for another episode of Canadian Patriot Radio. CPR is not filmed before a live studio audience. If you like the show, friends, make sure you give us a thumbs up and share us on all your social media platforms. Until next time, take care.